You're listening to the Communicate with Confidence podcast with me, your host, Luke Maxwell. This podcast is dedicated to helping you build confidence, increase your communication skills, and journey with me in the relentless pursuit of what you want most in life. In this episode, we have a retired lieutenant colonel and colonel and current founder of the Joshua York Legacy Foundation, an organization dedicated to suicide prevention through outreach, education, and improving mental health care accessibility. Bill York, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hey, Luke, I really appreciate the opportunity. So the one thing that really stuck out to me about you, Bill, was a very tireless dedication to a singular mission. And that is something that kind of reminded me about my own like singular mission. Okay, what do I want and how am I going to get it? And even you just like reaching out, you know, even just the simple act of, reaching out to a ton of different podcasts to try to spread your story um, is something that's often advised and very rarely followed because it's a lot of work. Um, and I, and I want I kind of want to unpack that. And so to do that, I kind of want to go back further because you're at a place right now where you sent me your resume. It's impressive. Um, all that you have accomplished and you've done over the last, I think it was 74, I think it goes back to or something like that. Um, but I want to kind of take it back to a place where many of our listeners are, the place where they're at maybe their first or second job and they're struggling and they want something and they maybe be in that place where they might want something, maybe don't really know what and want to move forward. So can you, can you kind of take us back to that place in your life, what that looked like, that that first job, that first thing that you did and then how you use that to move forward? So I, I'll tell you, Luke, uh... The first thing is I worked since I was 11. So uh, I came from a family of five kids, divorced parents, not a lot of money in the house. So in order to have just the basic needs like tennis shoes where the soles weren't falling off, I had to weed gardens. Mm -hmm. Hot sunny days for a buck fifty an hour. So um, what that instilled in me was, you know, if you want something, you have to get it yourself. Now, uh, when I turned 16, I was fortunate enough to work in a liquor store at, and make like $3.25 an hour. But I worked seven days a week. I got off school, went right to work, worked till they closed, and then uh, worked 14 hours on Saturday and 12 hours on Sunday. Why? Because for me, having money in the bank that I could uh, then go back to when I needed to was more important than you know going out and running with my friends every day and, and uh, trying to have uh, uh, relationships with girls. You know, I was a teenager. I, you know, it was more about uh, having the things that I desired. My real first job was the military. I went in right out of high school. I went in at the lowest rank, E1. And what it taught me and what has stuck with me the rest of my life is self-value. You you have to value yourself before you can put a value on what you're going to expect from others. Interesting. So let's unpack that a little bit um, because that's a phrase that I have. I'm trying to think of, I've actually heard it phrased that way because many times we talk about self-worth and we talk about all these things and cliche phrases that unfortunately have been brought to, oh, it's bright, when the night is darkest, you see the stars, right? Those those kind of phrases that are kind of cliche don't mean anything. But um, self-value, how do you you look at that in yourself? How do you you develop that? Sure. Um, You know, first of all, it's it's trying to figure out what you enjoy and what you're good at you know i'm not a Mm -hmm. sports person but i know plenty of people who are great sports people if you're going to play sports what's your goal nba hundred hundred thousand million dollars a year that's not me you know i'm an accountant i like numbers everything about numbers so 
when I found that, uh, I, I was in a high school for computer programming, had to take accounting. And I fell in love with the accounting aspect of it, hated the computer programming. So I developed my value of what I expected to be paid around accounting. And so as I progressed through my career, I just continued to add skills that were related to accounting. Okay. So how did you, so you kind of developed that and you, and you knew what you didn't want. I think that's something that a lot of people chase is what other people are chasing, something that looks glamorous, but doesn't really fit their lifestyle. Do you, do you, in, when you're in that place, you know, at that age, did you feel kind kind of left out? Like, what was like the emotion that was going on during that time of kind of discovering what you loved? Was there a little bit of like jealousy of why can't I be this? Like, I'm unpacking like the mm-hmm. really the psyche of being in that place right now. Yeah, for me, it was just honestly an aha moment. I was a high school student, not a really good one. You know, I worked <laughs> in a liquor store, so I had access to alcohol and I wanted to drink, which was not a good trait to have. But there was Mm -hmm. just this one day where I had a teacher talking about how someone was programming a computer and and was shaving off the percentages of excess, you know, uh, the hundreds of pennies and collecting them in an account. I don't know if it was a real story or not, but it captured my imagination and it made me look at the accounting aspect of it different, not because I wanted to defraud people, but I wanted to prevent people from doing that. And just the accuracy of, of accounting, I found very uh, intriguing to me. You know, my daughter, my oldest daughter's an artist. And, you know, traditionally artists don't make a lot of money, but I've always told her, you know, right. you're, you're talented at it. You, you are very passionate about it. And if you're passionate about something, you can make money doing anything. Yes. And that's true because that passion drives you. I think the the term of like the starving artist is a little bit, I don't really like that, that term or like the tortured artist because if you're passionate about something, you find a way to make it work somehow and you sacrifice and you give up things in order to make this work. Um, and that's why, you know, people are like, oh yeah, you're, you know, especially in the arts. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I have a few friends who are very artistic, whether it's musicians or, you know, drawing or something, different things like that. And I'm always just like, that's great. Do it. But don't think of yourself as someone like, oh, this is just can only be a hobby or this is only this because this stereotypical thing that I can never survive off of. Right. I mean, you um, look at it at, at, even in yourself. You know, I can see just by viewing you on the screen how passionate you are about um, <laughs> the, it's all good. the uh, uh, podcast that you're doing. You know, that that mm-hmm. is, you know, you, you don't have to be the best you just have to be right. more passionate. You just have to see the bigger picture in a different way, change the paradigm than, from what you're seeing in others. You know, I think that's what uh, kids today don't always get an opportunity to do because you know, we're helicopter parents. You know, we, we want to protect our kids, so you, you guys don't get the chance to experience the things that you know, we did in my generation. Exactly. And, and I'm not anywhere close. Like I say, like in my talks, I, you know, I talk to you know, parents and teens often. I'm like, look, I'm nowhere close to being a parent, like nowhere so far removed from being a parent. I'm on like Mars from being a parent. Right? And and but right. 
from what I see, you know, so I can't be in a place where I go, oh, yeah, this is working or this doesn't. Um, but my mentality, especially when I became more of an adult, you know, almost 23 now and out on my own, is that I realized, like, oh, I need to just try things. And then sometimes I try something. I'm like, hey, people will pay me for that. Cool. And I love it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then that's how I got it. I mean, that's how I got into public speaking. That's how I got into you know, web design and marketing is I was like, cool, this is fun. Oh, wait, people will pay for this? Awesome. Exactly. I'll keep doing it. I'll keep doing it more and make it my career then. I, I, um, I always tell people, always try everything twice because you never know if you got a bad deal the first time. Exactly. Or a bad instructor or, you know, because I, I, had a, I, I had a speech professor who was not great. And I was just like, imagine if that was my first impression of like giving speeches, I would have hated speaking. Yeah. Um, but luckily I had, you know, someone before that who was amazing, who was a, you know, a personal coach and then he brought my love to speaking a light. So yeah, exa- I love that thing twice. Cause oftentimes when I'm talking to someone doing coach, I'll say, just try everything once. But yeah, you're right. I think you're right. I'm going to change that from now on. It's now do everything twice. Yeah. Thank you. See, I do this podcast for myself <laughs> as well. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is part, partly selfish, of course. Uh, great to get to meet great people. And then, so kind of moving forward from there is that from the military, is that um, did you have a clear idea of where you wanted to go into the military or is it just like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try it, and we're going to see where this happens? So my initial uh, uh, journey down there, I was going to be a Marine. Why? Because they were badass and I had a friend <laughs> yep. that wanted to go in a buddy program and I needed to get away from where I was at. A lot of my friends were going down the wrong road. The ones that weren't going down the wrong road had money that I didn't have to go down the right road. So for me, it was an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, after, uh, when I was about ready to sign the paperwork, my buddy backed out and I had an uncle that retired from the air force and my mother begged wow. me to talk to him. So I, I talked to him and I thought, yeah, I think the air force has got a better fit for me. You know, um, so I went in the Air Force to actually do accounting. Yeah. Interesting. It's not not the reason most people go to the Air Force. Um, yeah. <laughs> usually, it's, it's usually it's a glamorous. Oh, I'm gonna fly something, or I'm gonna. I have a friend who does. Um, who's a mechanic in the Air Force. Um, but yeah, that's that's very interesting. You know, and that's what I see from. I mean, just to kind of go back to the, the beginning where I said that's where I see from you is that. Um, I don't see a whole lot of the glamour sinking, which is something that I find myself guilty of a lot of times, you know, being like, well, this will be amazing. And then go, whoa, 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 bring back myself back to reality. That's why you have good friends to bring you to reality. But that's why I loved about, you know, just your personality and your story and your journey is that you have that very, you know, that, that, that focus that, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do it well. Um, do you think that the military really like brought that to a greater focus for you, or do you kind of have that built up already? Yeah, I, th- I think they absolutely brought out the best of me. I mean, when I went in uh, and started out uh, having, you know, they break you down a little bit, they build you back up, they teach you how to work with others and, and to reach the goal, whatever the mission is of the day. You know, for me, uh, being able to do that well and, and then be rewarded positive constantly uh, through those mm-hmm. early uh, weeks and months of my career I was often recognized as the Airman of the Month, Airman of the Corner, Airman of the Year. Uh, it just it just made me realize that I had more value than I had ever placed on myself coming from the broken home that I had. You know, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse yep. me. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, they're all good. Um, yeah, because the military is often something that when when someone they, when they want focus and they want determination when they want you know routine especially they want that habit building. I'll go. Have you thought about you know you know going in some kind of branch? You know, even if it's not like you know an active duty or like something, right? Just getting involved in that kind because you don't have an option to slack off really um you have to and like for myself i went through a good few years of going well i think i need this like i think it's a good thing i think i need it and things end up working out to where i i didn't go down that path um but i kind of want to bring it again right down down to reality is that you were you had several um command positions right where you had people under you i, if I'm I did eventually I, you know yeah. I, like i said i worked my way up to uh Mm -hmm. a buck sergeant on active duty, which puts you as like a low-level supervisor. Uh, I switched okay. jobs and then uh, became a special agent, which is like an FBI agent within the military. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that put a lot of res individual responsibility on me because I was investigating crimes. But it also allowed me the freedom to investigate them uh, as I saw fit. Nobody said, okay, do this, do this. I had to come up with a plan. And then I got mm -hmm. shipped off to war in the first Gulf War, and when I uh, seven months, I got literally got called at three o'clock in the morning, was gone four o'clock in the afternoon, and didn't come home for seven months. And when I got back, I was like, I am not doing this again. I'm just wow. as good as the officers that I was deployed with. So mm -hmm. I got out and got my degree because I knew at that point I was ready for college. Um, I knew that I could put the effort in because I saw the value in it, uh, which I did, and then. After I got my degree, I went back into the National Guard system, the Air National Guard, uh, to pursue a commission, which I eventually got. And that's what led me to being in command positions. Perfect. Um, quick question. What was your degree in, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, my de uh, bachelor's degree is in accounting. <laughs> Okay, in the county. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, cool. Because I know that's something that a lot of people ask me about. Mm -hmm. And I always want to, you know, if someone does have a degree, I want to ask. Um, so when you're in that position of power, when you're in leading, what was one of the first mistakes you made where you went, oh boy, I, re I, really, I really need to step up my game. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I really need I to learn from this. That, uh, early on when I became the commander of our comptroller squadron, which is the ones who run all the money uh, on an mm -hmm. Air Force base, you know, I was fortunate. I had really good people that worked for me. I had known them when I was enlisted, so they felt comfortable with me. But as a commander, you know, you have expectations of yourself, the organization. You're trying to move it to a, uh, a better position than what you found it in. And so I was very gung-ho as a young officer and I put a lot of pressure on people. And uh, one day my senior enlisted person came in and said, you know, sir, can, can I have a conversation with you? I'm like, Sure. Uh, can I shut the door? Absolutely. Uh, can we leave the rank outside the door? Nah, that's when I get worried, you know. This person uh -oh. wants yep. to be honest with me. And, uh, you know, sure enough, they, they basically said, you know, you're being too driven. You know, we know that you're, uh, you think fast when it comes to accounting stuff. You know your job, but not everybody here does, and we can't keep up with you, and you're stressing the people. You're going to lose them. So I uh, had learned real quick that if I didn't, rely on those people below me to hold me up no matter what I was doing to bring them up and, and protect them, you know, I wouldn't have anybody left to hold me up because you don't, no one makes it alone. You know, mm -hmm. you're making your podcast because you have guests, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. A lot of it is me too. Uh, we have a hundred, a <laughs> hundred, a hundred odd episodes, just me and a mic. I mean, um, yeah. And that's, and that's something that's always interesting, but it's interesting to me about leadership is that, um, I've had a lot of different leaders in my life. Some of them 
not so great, some of them okay, and some of them great. Um, and one thing I personally have learned because I'm very individualistic. I think a lot of young entrepreneurs nowadays are, is that I don't need a team. I don't need anyone else. I'm going to do it all myself. And one thing I learned a lot from different leaders in my life who did a good job is that they realize that they might know something, they might know something is best, but because it the whole it doesn't work for the whole team, it's not the actual best decision. Right. Because the entire team cannot follow along. And that was a huge learning lesson for me, as I'm sure it was for you, is that you're saying, like, no, this is right, this is right, this is right. I'm gonna do do this, right? And you go, whoa, whoa wait a minute. You have to carry an entire team behind you. This is the word. This is a, this is not a good decision because of that. Right. And that's an that's an interesting uh, lesson. I'm glad you brought that up. And, uh, well, and actually, one thing to add to that, you know, the people who are in that driven zone are probably less than five percent of the population. So if you put a hundred hundred people in a room, there's probably only about five of them that are going to be uh, driven and focused to the point that they're thinking five, six, seven, eight steps ahead of everybody else. Mm -hmm. What you have to do, your complete polar opposite is the, the folks who are your team builders. They're the emotional ones. They're the ones that are actually connecting the people. They're the ones that yeah. you need on, on your side. So if you're not yeah. willing to, to figure out a way to bridge that gap, and normally it's the other opposite polars, the, the analytical people uh, and the mm -hmm. thought provokers, if you don't pull those together, your, your team never really uh, reaches the best that it can be. It'll perform, but it will never perform to the highest level. Exactly. And then you get high turnover and then you have people who hate you. I mean, the, the, the one thing I think about always is, you know, Steve Jobs and kind of the legacy that he left of being like a hard, you know, hard nosed, you know, don't care about my, I mean, you know, obviously exaggerating, you know, I don't, right. I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know him and his character. Uh, but, and I, I remember hearing people talk about different CEOs talk about like that, that was such a, like, devastating time in the business world because everyone's trying to imitate him and so then they treated their employees terribly and then everything like it was a, it was a it was a time where people realized oh wait a minute maybe 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 he succeeded for other reasons and not because he was just a you know a, a brutal boss um and that's an interesting you know lesson of growth that we've had of course nowadays i think sometimes we go in the opposite direction where it's all about you know having a comfortable enjoyable workplace yeah and um so you know, then you know, one, gets fired. one thing that's really it's it stands out to me and you you mentioned it yourself of uh you know uh sometimes you feel like it's about you and you know you've had these one one, one conversations or uh you know one of the things that we and it's gen, it's generational. It's not just your guys' generation. My generation was the same way. You know, mm -hmm. as we go into young adulthood, we don't want to listen to anybody my age, right? I mean, we know better. Hey, we know the technology. <laughs> I freely admit, you know, like this <laughs> skyping thing, this technology is boring <laughs> to me. But you know, from the older person's perspective, it's hard, sometimes it's hard for us to bridge the gap backwards. And yep. from your generational perspective, it's hard to understand. Oh, yeah, this is an old fart. He knows the old way, but. Uh, you know, we'll never get there. But the, the reality is, is I may not know your technology, but I know the paths that have failed uh, and some that have succeeded. What you bring to the table as a young person is that unique new experience of the world and what's cutting edge to take that, the paths that work and make them work more efficiently. Yes, you are so right. And and I definitely am still of the age where, you know, I've, I've fought a lot. I've worked on it and be like, nope, I'm going to I'm going to not make assumptions on someone based on their age. Um, and something that actually taught me a lot. And I think this is 
this is the solution for any kind of assumptions you make about a person based on anything is that you just you just talk you talk to them and all of a sudden you realize oh wow and especially the people I've experienced that's why I was so when I saw your resume I was like yes I'm excited because you have lived longer you you have so much more experience than me I just want to listen like if I if I had it my way I just shut up this entire <laughs> podcast and I just listen to you and I just listen to whatever you wanted to tell me um for all day and I've I've done this you know several times with you know businessmen I just last week I think he was like what 76 eight? So, like he was you know up there successful successful businessman I was in the room with him and several others and I was just listening and you know ask for feedback I'm like I don't want to talk I don't want I don't want to give you feedback I just want to listen to you um because there's just so much to learn because I'm always of the aspect whenever I speak, I'm I'm talking about my mistakes, so you don't make them too. Like right. then we're just in this generational repeat of just making the same mistakes. Like why is it? Why aren't we? Why aren't we solving this mistake? And then you know, and then continuing that cycle. Exactly. Um, instead, so yeah, definitely, and of course, being young and in business, um, networking. I'm usually the youngest one in the room anyway. Um, so I've gotten I've gotten used to working with people of all different ages and backgrounds and all of that. Um, but it's true. I think it's something that is definitely um. We can definitely move forward and work on. But I want to make sure that the meat of this podcast, the real important part, right, is the work you're doing now. And I am a huge fan of people who take tragedy and make something good out of it. Bring, you know, bring light out of the darkness. Be unashamed about their stories, the way, you know, my tagline, the way I put it. And um, for the listeners right now, can you take us back as much as you want to share sure. on this podcast? Kind of take us through the the journey to create this foundation and through, you know, that, that story of, of this foundation. First of all, let me say that, you know, I'm a person when it comes to suicide prevention and awareness and my story that I'm a complete open book. Why? Because if I, my ultimate goal is to change the way the public looks and speaks about suicide prevention and awareness. Uh, in order to do that, I have to be at the tip of the spear. I have to be completely honest. So there's not a, not a question you uh, can ask me that I'm not going to answer honestly, because if right. if I want everybody else to be honest and open about it, I've got to show them that it's possible. So mm-hmm. my story starts back with um, uh, my son, uh, Joshua. Um, uh, my first wife and I had two children, my oldest daughter and uh, my son, Joshua. Uh, Joshua uh, was a very bright, energetic kid, blue eyes, life of the party, always having fun, um, surrounded himself with good people. Um, but Joshua was struggling with his sexuality. And, you know, we knew, we knew that he was, he was uh, and I, when I say struggling, I don't mean it in a bad way. He was just trying to hey, figure yeah, out, yeah. you know, right. where he wanted, where and when he wanted to be who he was, he was going to be. Um, his mother and I uh, divorced because uh, she decided she was more comfortable uh, being in the lesbian world. And uh, she got remarried, so he had two moms on that side. I got remarried, so he had a stepmom. And, and by the way, you know, uh, to this day, still very close with um, this, uh, his mother's spouse. I mean, she's a wonderful okay. lady. She's a doctor. She's very intelligent. Oh, wow. Um, but as Josh grew up, you know, he had also a uh, physical um, – uh, growth ailment. He had a, a what they call pigeon chest, where it points out. Uh, and there's two types. One goes in, one goes out. Normally, mm-hmm. they don't do anything with the ones going out. Um, 
he unfortunately uh, was very self-conscious about that. So um, as he got into high school, he was he was very self-conscious, as most of us are at that age. He was trying to he had a lot of friends. He was trying to find a uh, personal relationship that would not affect his school. So he did, made a mistake that a lot of people do. And, and uh, my God, I, I try to warn, especially young people. Um, my son was, was on a dating app. He was talking to people. He finally met someone who he felt uh, attractive to on an on a emotional basis that he wanted to meet and get to know. He met the person. That person wasn't a good person. He got raped at uh, 17, right before he went into his senior year. And then he had uh, that chest surgery he had in, uh, in the winter of his senior year. So he was laid up for about six, eight weeks. Uh, very um, hard, hard operation to go through. Um, he never prosecuted. I didn't, you know, I gave him the choice uh, to prosecute or not. He didn't want to um, because it would impact him at school and in the public eye. He, um, he didn't want to go to counseling because he just felt like he could put it behind him. So the first, first thing I would tell young people, you know, is those kind of traumatic events, you have to deal with them. Uh, you have to yeah. be, I always say, beat a buffalo. You have to run towards the storm because whenever you're fearful of something, that's your natural fight or flight response. And if you run from it, you're actually keeping yourself in that uh, emotional turmoil longer as opposed to if you run towards it and face your fear, you get out of it quicker. Yeah. It may be harder for a shorter yeah. period of time, but you get out of it. So mm-hmm. uh, my son went off to JMU, James Madison University. It was a small town in Virginia, a very good school, has a very small LGBT community, uh, first time away from home on his own, and he uh, found himself having some suicidal thoughts. He checked himself in, did the right thing, um, okay. It took us a while to find him uh, quality um, mental health care that, that would meet his needs for uh, having that uh, self-image issue on top of um, uh, struggling with the rape that he had experienced. And he ended up having to travel because it was a freshman, no car, an Uber ride one way, uh, 22 minutes plus the hour of uh, counseling and then 22 minutes back. So two hours a week. Think of that, that when you're taking 15 credits, very difficult to do. So after one semester, yeah. he stopped. He, um, the next semester, he took a course where he wrote a paper about it and spoke openly about it in the classroom. And that sort of changed things because people started coming to him and seeking his advice and his, his um, yeah. experience. Yeah. And so it made him feel better. He had also met the love of his life, my son-in-law, who's also, by the way, named Josh and is a co-founder of the um, foundation. Um, when he got out of his uh, freshman year, him and Josh decided to move in together. He, he, I brought it up, hey, what are you going to do? You're coming home, you're going to live with your mother, you're going to go back and forth, or you got some other plans. And, and he was like, Dad, I'm glad you asked me that because I'm thinking about moving in with Josh, and I didn't know how to ask you. And I said, you don't have to ask me. You're over 18, you're in college. And as a matter of fact, I encourage you because from the age of 18 until you – find your career or, or graduate college, it's the one time in life that I can guarantee you that if you don't take as many um, well-thought-out risks in your life, you're missing yep. out. You know, So yep. that's like totally. the ideal time to have life experiences that will carry with you the rest of your life. It's a beautiful time in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he moved. He got his uh, real estate license at 19 and uh, then transferred to a local college, University of Maryland. 
Okay. He was on the dean's list. He he uh, got graduated that oh. second year. Uh, they had bought a big house together, um, and he had sold just sold his first real estate property at uh, 19, and three weeks later he had um, a trigger that caused him to think about that rape, and in a very dark moment he made a uh, bad decision that was permanent. He took his life. So. Uh, with all the training that I'd been through, um, and again, I was a criminal investigator, so I was trained in, right. in suicide, suicide prevention. I knew what mm -hmm. to expect because I had done the crime scenes. I had written the reports. Uh, I had, as a commander, put people into uh, psychological eval to keep make sure they, they were okay. Some of them weren't. They stayed. Right. Uh, but all of that training in all those years and all that life experience did not prepare me for the loss of my son. I was devastated. Of course, of course. Um, a, a, the day after we buried our son, my uh, wife said to me, you know, I want to do something. I'm like, what do you want to do? She, she started off talking about a scholarship, me being the accountant. Uh, I'm asking her questions like, well, do you just don't want to do it once? Do you want to do it, you know, for, for right. you know, the rest of our lives? Where, do, where does it end for you? And we decided we wanted to create a perpetual fund for scholarships at his high school. To do that, I had That's to great. create an organization, right? So right. I, we created a nonprofit with an initial thought of just doing scholarships. We, f we figured in order to do a first-year scholarship, we'd like to raise $3,000. We had nine months to do it. In the first mm -hmm. month, we raised $8,000. And that's when it hit me. Oh, my gosh, there are people suffering out here and they yeah. they want to make a change. They just don't know how to do it. Exactly. And that's where it became my passion to uh, because I saw the need and I lost my son. And we last year we lost forty seven thousand people in America. Many of them young people, fourteen to twenty five. And it, it's yes. just a terrible loss of this country. Uh, it devastates. You know, not even talking to economic value, but it devastates the family and friends of these folks, and that stays with them for a very long time. Some people never get out of it. My ex-wife, six months later on January 6, 2019, took her life out of grief. So we had a double loss, double tragedy within six months. Just reinforced, reinvigorated me. I'd taken six months off work to, to build this organization from the ground up. And uh, right. I realized in myself something that I never saw myself doing in my life, and that was I became a salesman. All my life, people had said to me, "Hey, you know, why don't you do sales?" And I was like, "Nope, can't do it. I don't believe in the product, you know." And not that we have a product, but I believe in the mission. And therefore, the worst exactly. thing that can ever happen exactly. to me, like when I reached out to you, the worst thing mm -hmm. you could have said is, "Nope, don't want to talk to you." Right? Yep. And as when you get to the point. And, and, you know, unfortunately for me, it took me 53 years, you know, when you get to the point where you realize that ha having someone tell you no isn't too bad, it's invigorating. Yep, exactly. There's no risk. I mean, you, there's, there's only upside. Yeah. And, and that's what I see is that personally, because I've been in the mental health field for a good, we just, I just celebrated, I think my fifth year speaking, um, like last week. And I've been, you know, and it sounds how I was 16. That's dealt with issues That's since, awesome. Yeah, it dealt with issues since I was six years old. So I'm very familiar with the, with the struggle. Um, and something I've seen a lot are parents who have a tragedy and try, and try to do something. And 
I've seen it and I've, and I've, you know, I've tried to do everything I can. And many times it doesn't go anywhere. Um, just because, I mean, they're, they're, you know, I, I don't, I don't blame them. You know, I, I mean, no, I mean, absolutely not just like, yeah, it, obviously like you need to f- take some time and figure out, you know, what you want to do with this story. And when I saw that, what you had done, I went, okay, there's hope. Like there's hope that like so, a similar situation like this can bring more light, um, as terrible as it is. And of course we don't wish it on anybody. We don't want this to happen. Right. That's why we're doing this, exactly. um, is trying to prevent, you know, other stories like this. Um, and when you say you never expected you to be a salesman, um, uh, I find that a little funny because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're all salesmen um, because either we're selling ourselves, we're selling an idea, a mission, or a product, um, and that you know, I think that's a great skill to have. And when you're doing that, and I wanted to take it is that if someone was in a in a similar situation, let's say, um, in trying to bring a light out of tragedy, trying to do something, what would you? What are some steps that you would advise they take? to actually accomplish something not just like create an organization be like hey look i actually have i have a thing Mm -hmm. but no like are you making change we talked about this earlier right i want to see change happen right what are some of those steps so so the first step you have to realize is you you have to realize where in what you have is it evergreen which means you got a message that never has to change or is it a message that you're going to have to sell to a specific population. Who is your target audience, right? Um, right. And then you, you really have to think through, I mean, I've seen lots of nonprofits out there that are, are trying to do good work. They're trying to keep their the memories of their loved one, whether it be a child, a parent, or uh, a husband, a wife, whatever, alive through a nonprofit. That's great, and, and, it, and it does good for the community. But if you don't have, if you're only doing it for that, I think my advice would would be to take a step back and say, you know, I can do that in a different way. If I if I just want to have a scholarship, then I can go to another organization. There's plenty of community organizations where you can raise funds, put it in the community organization. They take on all the responsibility, and you don't have to do any of the paperwork, right? That's what I would advise them because a lot of times, and I've seen it. I won't mention specifics, specifics, but. What I've seen is a lot of people putting effort into keeping the memory alive, but not having a true impact, right? The impact mm-hmm. is changing lives. In my case, exactly. it's saving lives. It's, it's getting people the help that they need, helping them recognize that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to feel this way. A friend of mine gave me the best uh, advice ever, and, and it's just a simple saying, and I say it to myself all the time. Uh, uh, today I am who I am and I'm not okay. It's okay that I'm not okay because I won't be this way forever. And it's a good way to get out of the grief area in order to make a difference. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes making a difference isn't being that 5% leadership person. Um, It's being the 95% of the people that come to support the leader and and make the mission more and more successful. There's no leader without people to lead. Exactly. And I kind of want, and I kind of want to just, I just want to f- just take a second um, to talk about that mm-hmm. uh, idea of, you know, of, um, of different organizations and like the concept of like, what is actual change? Mm-hmm. Um, when I started what I, you know, when I started, you can't be a race and I started speaking and I started telling my story, um, 
this that started because I thought I only had two options, and I feel like this is, goes through a lot of people's minds, mm-hmm. is that when you go through a tragedy, is that you feel like you have two options. One, it bogs you down. You stay, you live with it forever, and it just debilitates you, and you live with this. Or you just try to push it down and forget it and numb yourself, you know, to, to get yourself away from it. And then I realized, and I went, and I went oh, wait. And this is where call this is where be unashamed came from mm-hmm. is a concept of going no, I have a third option. I can actually take this and I can make this terrible thing into a good thing for others. Yes, you know I can turn this and I can make that I can compound the effect, you know, so like so much to others, and then that's how that's that's the other option, and you know that's. Really, the way I see it and use it in different ways, you know, I have a whole thing. I have a whole, I have a whole thing about this. Uh, uh, but yeah, so that's like kind of like the thought. And so that's great, you know, is that you know, it's kind of that mindset of you know, what do you want? What do you, what change do you want for who? Right. And, so and I'll then, give you a perfect yeah. example. You know, uh, we have five children: my older daughter, mm-hmm. and then three younger to uh, Joshua. They go all the way down to seven years old. Um, mm-hmm. They were shutting down. You know, so my wife did the research to figure out, okay, what kind of activities can we do in our house in a safe place to get them talking? Little mm-hmm. simple things like dropping a rock in a vase of water, and each time you do that, we went around the table and just um, talked about the uh, things that were positive that we remembered, bringing those beautiful memories up right. you know, to the surface. We mm-hmm. also did uh, something similar but with candles and, and lit a candle for each thing that we were going to miss. When he, because of his passing, one of the things we had done, you know, you you may or may not have heard of the kindness rock movement that started up in the northeast, mm-hmm. yep. right? So we had done that on vacation once, and we had. Could you explain it just for people sure. listening that aren't familiar? Yeah. So the kindness rock uh, project is uh, a lady up in the northeast of the United States. I want to say it's either Maine or Massachusetts, but she started painting rocks with positive messages and leaving them on the beach with a girlfriend for others to find. That that project is incredible. It's grown all around the world. There's literally um, hundreds and hundreds of groups who, uh, with thousands and thousands of people who paint rocks every single day. I can tell you, uh, we went to that. We decided we were going to do that with our kids, but with a message of for suicide prevention, positive messages, and also the th- symbols like the uh, butterfly and, and the, um, mm-hmm. the uh, nice. semicolon. And so we did that locally. But before we did, since we already had now our foundation page, we, we took the time to snap photos and put them on as a group called Suicide Prevention Rocks. And, you know, just thinking, oh, this is a great way to share with others how we're healing. That group within a week had 250 people join it, which, you know, the bells and whistles went off in my head, and I thought, oh, my gosh, how many other rock groups are doing suicide prevention rocks? How can I connect with right. them? My initial thought mm-hmm. was there's got to be others. Let me connect, right? We can work together. Mm-hmm. What I found, and I have now categorized, I have keep track of them. For 11 months, I've tracked 4,500 rock painting groups around the world. The membership of those groups is 8 million people. Uh, they're... And I track them. So I can tell you where they all are and how many people are in them. Um, But they, out of all those groups, there was only three other groups that were doing anything solely suicide prevention. All the other ones are kindness or, you know, some other disease or something like that. Right. So 
as I realized that, I started reaching out to them. So I have now built a network of um, that of people who have joined my group in, in 11 months, uh, over 14,300 people around the world in every single state in America and in 58 countries on every continent around the world. And mm-hmm. we just a few weeks ago initiated a international effort to drop a rock for suicide prevention on on uh, September 10th of this year, which is International Suicide Prevention Day. We are mm-hmm. out um, uh, having people drop rocks for suicide prevention all around the world, and it and it's gr- wow. it's growing day by day. That's fantastic. And you know what I love about this, to bring it more into like business terms, is that you have an idea and this is a physical concept of like of the idea, right? A physical manifestation. It's something people can look at and hold and rally behind and do. And that's what I love about this is that it's a small thing for someone to do. Um, but you never you never know the impact that your actions have yeah. um, when you take that step. Fortunate, and you fortunately do and unfortunately, we do do know what that is, right? Because we we've uh, been doing this for eleven months. Uh, at least once a month, we get a, at least one or two stories of somebody who opens up on the page and says, "I found this rock, and I really? was going to hurt myself that day, but I'm now carrying that rock with me every day as a reminder." to stay wow. and continue living the life that I'm living. We've had people place a rock uh, in Red Rock Canyon, Colorado, one day, mm-hmm. and that same day, three hours later, somebody else picked it up and moved it to a higher spot on the mountain. A month or so ago, somebody else found it and took it to Florida with them. So the rocks start to travel also. Um, we have uh, f- folks who, you know, painting a rock, it's art, it's art therapy. Yeah, if you know anything about mental health, you got music therapy, yep. you got art therapy. This is a form of art therapy, self art therapy. And when you so when you paint the rock, you're you're putting your emotions into it. When you leave the rock, you're hoping to help someone else. And when someone else finds it, why do they find it? Because anyone who's feeling depressed or ha- negative thoughts is usually looking down at the ground. So they are more apt to find that rock. They pick it up, they read the message, and it and it resonates. We in the rock world, they call it. The rock finding the person, not the person finding the rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and you know, I, 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 it's just a great, it's a great little thing. And so, hey, look, anyone listening, if you want to do a small little thing, check it, uh, check it out. And this actually brings us, we, uh, we need, our time's almost up. We need, we need to wrap up. And this actually leads perfectly, perfect segue that I've now ruined into the, the final point is that, um, one, um, what is your? Uh, where can people find more information about you? And then two, what is the final message that you want to leave with everyone who's been through this journey with us? All right, so we can be found on the internet at www.joshuayorkfoundation.org or on Facebook as the Joshua York Legacy Foundation and a group Suicide Prevention Rocks. Uh, by the way, if you're going to do that rock drop, you know, just paint a rock, put it out there. If you want it to, to show up on our page, put pound, hashtag, JYLF or JYLF rocks. Uh, if JYLF. I could leave you with one thing, it would be uh, our motto, uh, which is strengthening lies with love. You know, those who are in a dark place, there's a couple things that need to happen. One, we need to connect with people. In today's technology, it's harder and harder. So take the time to connect emotionally with those people around you. Uh, Learn what the signs of um, uh, suicidal uh, tendencies are so that 
you you know what they are so you can recognize them. And most importantly, if you think you've recognized them, act. Ask the person, hey, how are you feeling today? Is there anything I can help you with? If, if they're being evasive, ask the tough questions. You know, are you considering hurting yourself? Do you have a plan? Let me help you. At, connect, recognize, and act. Through that, we strengthen lives with love. Yes. Love it. Thank you so much for taking us on this journey, for sharing your heart with us, Bill. And again, all the show, all the links to everything will be in the show notes at the Communicate with Confidence Podcast dot com. Uh, thank you so much. I hope to talk to you soon because I mean, I could listen to you all day. Um, <laughs> I'm tempted. I, I'm looking at the timer. I'm like, I'm tempted to just go ah, <laughs> just listen. I'll just listen to stories. Uh, but no, I'm gonna let you go. Respect your time. Um, thank you all for listening. Do what you love. And remember to always stay on the positive side of things. Boom. There we go. There we go. That was great.